from the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, this is All About Grants. Welcome to another edition of All About Grants. This is Megan Columbus with NIH's Office of Extramural Research, here today to talk with Dr. Kathleen Cooper, who's the director of the Division of Receipt and Referral in NIH's Center for Scientific Review. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thank you for having me. We're here today to talk about NIH's appendix policy. The latest policy goes into effect for applications submitted January 25th, 2018, and it only allows for a few select items to be submitted as appendix materials. Kathy, could you tell us exactly what's allowed under this new policy? Sure. First of all, though, before I get into the policy itself, it's important to remember that anything that is specified in the funding opportunity announcement to which someone is applying will be allowed. So you'll find that information in Section 4 of the FOA under the heading Appendix. But since most FOAs don't specify appendix materials, standard NIH appendix policy applies to most applicants. The standard policy only allows for blank data collection forms, which are usually things like blank questionnaires or blank surveys, and also blank informed consent or assent forms, and that's it. So why do we limit the amount of appendix materials applicants are allowed to submit in the first place? Well, it's really all about fairness and consistency for the applicants and also about reviewer burden. So by fairness and consistency, I mean that everyone competing for funding has the opportunity to submit the same amount of information and the same type of information to the reviewers for evaluation and scoring. And then the reviewer burden issue really is to ensure reviewers will know what they're getting into when they've agreed to review. They need to know how much material they will be expected to review in order to make their commitment to do the review. Well, we didn't used to limit the material as much as we will be as of January 2018. So what changed? Well, in January 2018, we're implementing a new human subject and clinical trial information form in our application package. Some of the information that used to be allowed in the appendix we're now collecting in that human subjects and clinical trial information form. For example, we used to allow the clinical trial protocol to be part of the appendix, but now the information contained in the protocol is captured within the new human subjects form itself. And so the protocol attachment is likely redundant, and we would only allow it to be included if the FOA specifically required it. That makes sense. So what are the most common mistakes that people make when submitting appendix materials to NIH? Well, a lot of people will put additional material in the appendix for reasons like they tell me, um, I want it there in case the reviewers want to see it. It's not essential for review, but the reviewers might want to look at it. Or sometimes they really want to put it in the application somewhere, but there's no place for it, so they just put it in the appendix. That's not the right approach. <laughs> Applicants should carefully read the FOA and the application instructions and provide just the information that's requested. We try to warn people ahead of time that they should check to be sure the appendix material submitted with the application is allowed by including a warning that is triggered during our application submission process. Unfortunately, too many people ignore that warning, and then they lose the chance to fix their application. Yeah, and the consequences of that are pretty dire. The consequences are dire. Since we can't let what we call an overstuffed application go to review, 
and we currently have no way to remove non-compliant appendix materials or redact pieces of an application in any way. Non-compliant applications are withdrawn and then the applicant will likely have to submit for a future due date. So it's really important that people follow this policy. Do you have any other pieces of advice that could help people in case they make a mistake? I always tell applicants to submit early because that gives them time to put their application together, time to address any errors or warnings like this one that arise during the submission process, and then follow the application through to ERA Commons and view it to make sure that the application has all of the parts they think it should have. And if they submit early, they have time to fix things. If they submit at 4.57 on the deadline date, they do not. So I know we say this a lot, but by early, we're talking days, not minutes. Days and not minutes, not even hours. <laughs> Good advice. Thank you, Kathy. You're most welcome. For NIH and OER, this is Megan Columbus. The guide notice outlining NIH's changes to the appendix policy can be found by Googling NOT-OD-17-098. Appendix instructions can be found in the application form guides.